This episode contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reported Missing Podcast, where we investigate why Canadians go missing, how it affects society, and what is being done to prevent and respond to the issue. Hi listener, I'm Becca, a Canadian journalist, missing persons advocate, and your host of this podcast. Today, I won't be doing a normal introduction where I give you context of what this episode is going to be on. The following story is not going to be told by me, but I will give you some context near the end, so sit back and enjoy. I'm Holly Clark. I was born in Clarenville, Newfoundland, and I grew up most of my life in Calgary. I, I believe you should be a true version of yourself. Like, I really hate lying about who I am. I don't like pretenses, and I don't like when other people hide themselves to me. And so um, that means that I'm careful with the words I use, and I'm careful. Uh, and I mean, some, sometimes I can't play some songs. <laughs> that I write because sometimes sometimes a way that I was feeling is less true in a moment for me. Most of my songs that are really important to me come from like uh, um, feeling feeling discomfort and then uh, being like, ah, shit. Or shoot, I'm not, I'm not being <laughs> okay. honest. I'm not being honest with like something in my life, and then mining that feeling. I think I'm I'm prone to uh, to uh, trying to ignore my feelings or like tamp them down and not uh, run away from them and really avoid them. But I think that process of avoiding my feelings um, <laughs> results in me like wanting to explode. Uh, and then I hit that point where I need to explode, and it's a really good songwriting point because there's like an internal tension that I, like I have something I need to say. How long after you found out that she was missing Dave, did you go to Hamilton? Uh, well, we were already buying our plane tickets um, by the time that uh, by the time that her brother was looking for her. So we were there. He started looking the afternoon that she disappeared or the evening that she disappeared within two hours. He was there looking for her. And then we were there the next evening because our, our flight was in the morning and it took us it took us some time to get there. So Okay. How long were you in Hamilton for? It was about uh it was all of January and February and part of March to start with. And then uh we went back uh the end of May and stayed all through June and looked again. 
so uh, three and a half months, four months, something like that. Where did you stay? Uh, we stayed in stayed in a hotel that kind of smelled like they'd washed the carpets with the bourbon. Uh, <laughs> the first the first couple of nights, and then we uh, we moved on to we we thought it would be really quick, you know. So then we moved on to Airbnbs, and we rented one for a week, and then rented the next one for for two or three weeks, and then the next one for you know, four or five weeks. I'm not exactly sure how it went, but it was it just kept dragging on and yeah so. well and and the reality is you don't want to book anything for too long because the ex- expectation is that you're going to find her mm-hmm. and you're not going to want to pay for an airbnb for three months if you're going to find her in three hours so yeah. it's it's a little bit of a um, little bit of tetris i think mm-hmm. when when having to do this how did you coordinate your initial search efforts uh, well, we, we went there and we asked uh, Caleb and my daughter Kate, who, uh, who had also been to Hamilton, where Holly liked to go when, when we got there. And we, we added that to the information that she'd told us about running through the woods. And then Randy joined us uh, and he knew some of the pathways that she took as well, or that he he didn't actually know anything about her life in Hamilton, but he knew Hamilton well. So he was able to guide us also to other places in the city. So we started by searching pathways and, and things like that, and then added to that maybe the next day, uh, going up and down her, her street and, and asking people if we'd, they'd seen her and canvassing sort of the immediate area, and we just kind of worked out from there. Just uh, basically asking everybody on her, her street if they'd, if they'd seen her. I was working as a songwriter in Calgary, and I met musicians there. Uh, by the band that I have now, I... I came to Toronto about a year ago and I did a bunch of open mics and I met my partner Randy then, just uh, we started dating um, and he is my guitar player in our band now. And then we we met, we like phoned in for a while at Wordham to Calgary, um, we started working together uh, and then we traveled the country a bunch since, tree planting and, and doing some shows. And um, we met Andrew when we moved here. He's a drum player and he's absolutely amazingly talented. I'm so lucky to play with him, oh my goodness. They feel so good. Like when we jam, mm-hmm. they play just, the choices that they make intuitively always feel good. And securing the first points of the match is University of Calgary's Holly Ellsworth Clark. I was a 
competitive athlete for a really long time and shifting <laughs> that mindset was so challenging for me to like go from like um <laughs> Let's go. One or one or your your goal or your nothing. Like what what sport did you play? I was a wrestler. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh. So it's so like shifting from that like it's all on me like I have to win or mm -hmm. I am garbage mentality to like we're sharing art with each other like we're here to have an experience together like it's not a competition nobody's while some people are going on stage to one up you but it's better if you don't make like it's more fun if you don't make that your endeavor yeah you yeah. shouldn't be trying to like go on stage in an open mic to win. That's it's not the it's not the it, point. It's not the point. You're there to like share what you're doing and then see other people share what they're doing. Yeah. And enjoy it and then maybe meet some cool people. And that's exactly what I did. I met a bunch of people who like really care about sharing uh musical experiences. As her father, it didn't really show through to me how smart and talented she was because it's sort of her, her kindness is sort of the, the main the main thing you notice. I I really hadn't had no idea that she was going to be the one who was going to be the outstanding wrestler and that, you know, her brother was already a musician before she started. And you know, I, I didn't really expect her to eclipse him the way that she did. So it's quite, you know, she surprises me all the time. What type of music do I make? Or how would I describe my music? Your style, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think heartfelt and honest. My music's really emotional, like emotionally driven, and I think that I'm I'm trying I'm trying to be as honest about uh, about my like internal conflicts that I'm facing like I, I don't want to I don't want to tell a story that's like half like I don't want to tell half the story mm -hmm. I want to tell the whole truth of what I'm feeling like you want to be vulnerable yeah mm -hmm. yeah and not like I think I think I like I have a tendency to hide behind humor in in my life outside of music and I think engaging in songwriting and engaging in music forces me to be, or allows me, allows me to be honest with people. And I think that actually allows me to connect with people in a way that I don't, I don't know that I have 
as good of a tool as songwriting <laughs> to connect with other people. Right. Like, even in conversation, I think, like, I can more succinctly say something that people can connect to on a deeper level. aspects of herself that are sort of at war within her, this extremely uh, hard-headed, accomplished person who, who just, she just cares deeply about, uh, about people and, and about uh, 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 life. And she's a very, very passionate person and, uh, and really wears her heart on her sleeve, sort of, yeah. If I didn't know Holly and you had to tell me three things about her, what would you tell me? I would tell you that her stature is the very first thing you'd notice about her. She is six feet tall. Uh, she's got the um, stance of somebody who, somebody you wouldn't want to mess with right off the bat. But the moment that she opened her mouth, you'd be like, oh, this girl's fine. <laughs> there is nothing to worry about here. Uh, so I would say number one, flat out, is her stature. Uh, second of all, I would say that I'd echo Dave's comments and that she's very much a, a very sensitive person. Not that she would let on right off the bat, she would try and hold it close to the chest, uh, but she is quite sensitive. And I think the third is that she's very thoughtful. Thoughtful in the sense that she will sit and debate with you and argue with you, but at the end of the conversation she will still be your friend. You're not going to lose her. Uh, lose her as a friend just because you disagree with something. So she's very thoughtful and very calculated in the decisions and words that come out of her mouth when she chooses to do it. So. How many major searches did you guys initially conduct? Uh, so that was an interesting undertaking considering Dave, Greta, myself, uh, like the, the core kind of group were not from there. So Kate, uh, Holly's sister, lives in Toronto, so does Caleb, and they have a quite the array of friends and everybody uh, came and helped. Uh, on average, we had about 30 people every day, 30 to 40 people running around Hamilton, following up on tips, uh, searching, driving. We had people staked out at certain areas. Um, so between Kate and her friends and Caleb and his friends, and then some members of the public that we had uh, come to trust very quickly, we had an, a lot of people 24-7, more than, more than I think any of us ever expected. In addition to that, we ran three public searches. So we had in total about 700 people attend those, uh, 650, I guess, 650 members of the public attended those. And we grid searched the entire downtown area of Hamilton. So 
If you came in, you signed up and you got a grid that you were assigned to, you sat, you waited for some instructions and then you went out and we had, um, we had one person for each grid as like a team lead. And then the members of the public would follow that team lead and go to their assigned section. And they were looking for certain things. They were looking for cameras. They were checking backyards. They were looking for houses that might be of interest. Uh, so from that, we were able to create some pretty outstanding maps of the community. And because of that, once we got the first piece of footage, we were able to go out and find all the rest of the footage from the day that she disappeared. So came in really helpful. Uh, the community was beyond uh, outstanding. And the fact that they would all take time out of their, their very busy lives to come help us was quite inspiring. Like, and, and I think it's so cool that people want to go out and have a physical community of people. Like, I think that's a pretty rare experience where you go out and you collect together as people and do an activity where everyone is relaxed and open and telling you weird stories about yourself that you would never get out of them in any other context. But suddenly you, like, get to know, like, a bit about somebody's life. about the challenges that you guys faced while searching for Holly in a whole other province and in the middle of a global pandemic. Tell me about that. Well, um, when we went back in, in, uh, in June, May. May, May and June, um, uh, I spent a lot of time canvassing from house to house. And, you know, that was right at the, at sort of at the tail end, but still within the, the heart of when everybody was kind of locked down. So everybody was very aware of trying to keep distances, but there weren't a lot of masks around at that time. So yeah. um, what I found was I could not show somebody a poster of, of, of my daughter and start asking them about it uh, and maintain a six foot distance. It was impossible. As soon as I did that, they were within about two feet of me. Human nature, though, yeah. right? They, yeah. the, if you say my daughter's yeah. missing, the first thing that most people try to do is hug you and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. So with COVID, it was interesting yeah. because they would get within a foot of you and then realize, oh, shit, it's COVID. Yeah. I'm probably too close, but I'm still going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I guess that, and I realized that that was just a risk I had to take. So uh, I... I did get my, have to get myself tested a few times because people coughed in my face and things like that. And, and, uh, not maliciously. Not just, maliciously, no. It yeah. wasn't on purpose. But, uh, yeah, there were several very sick people who coughed directly into my face. Like, I, <laughs> I thought of, I tried oh pouring God. liquor on my face. He did. It was, it was bad. It was, it was so bad. So bad. He's, was, he's like, liquor, liquor's good, right? It's, it's, uh, it's alcohol. So if it helps with a cut, it's got to help get the COVID off my face, right? <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah, anyway. 
either I either I have a strong immune system or I, I didn't come in contact with it. I think probably the latter. Yeah. Um, but even before that, there was a month when we were sitting here, uh, at least yep. yeah, about a month, maybe a little bit more, when we couldn't get back really, and uh, and then we were relying on the people of Hamilton to look out their windows and yeah, and that had pluses and minuses. It did. You dealt with most of those yeah, so it was interesting because with Hamilton, they were they were essentially on lockdown. So unless you had a doctor's appointment or going to the grocery store, you were not to be out. Like you were not going on walking paths. You were not riding your bike. You were at home. It was a full on stay at home. So what happened was people ended up being a little bit more aware of their surroundings. So if somebody was walking down the street, they would take notice because a lot of people were a little bit social justice warrior type. And they were like, what are you doing now? Why are you walking? Why are you walking? And I'm not. But this was great because they were looking and paying attention to everybody that was out, including the homeless, including people that could potentially be Holly. So through COVID, we were getting four and five messages a day saying, oh, I think I see her walking on my street. So that was beneficial in that that many people were daydreaming out their window <laughs> or gazing out their window when in reality if this was any other time that would not be the case they'd be at work or they'd be at school or wherever they spend their time so that I mean none of them led to us obviously finding Holly but it was uh it was quite an interesting problem to have where that many people were actually watching for others along the street so we we have a number of people on the ground in Hamilton that if a tip comes in and it's kind of wishy-washy, we won't necessarily send it to Hamilton police. We'll send somebody on the ground. Uh, if it does have a bit of reality to it, then it immediately goes to HPD and then we send out one of our team to go and kind of cover bases. Um, so we would do that if it was a potential or they would call, I'd say, hey, get a picture of the person so we can rule it out. Pictures and video are incredibly valuable. Holly's got a very, very distinct walk. So if anybody can get a video of, of who they think is Holly walking, we can tell you within a second whether it's her or not. Have you gone to Hamilton as much as you would like? No. No, I wouldn't say so. No. Yeah. Kind of odd though, I mean, if you're there for a while, you think that uh, you know, you'll be more productive going home yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. when you're home for a while, you think you'll be more productive going there. And I think maybe traveling back and forth feels like you're doing something, even if you're not. So, yeah. So, it's kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, when we came home in March, it wasn't because we necessarily wanted to. Um, Holly's apartment was a month to month. So, we had to clear it out and take all of her. Dave's phrase but take all of her hopes and dreams and pack them in a box and bring them home because you can't keep paying rent for somewhere indefinitely that's just not viable and the reality is a missing person search burns people out and it burns them out very quickly and we had hoped we had hoped that uh, it would be much shorter yeah. so we just we burned people out ruthlessly I had uh, all my daughter's friends came and they worked like dogs for 24 two, hours, two or three weeks, most yeah. of them. And, and then they were useless. And, you know, her cousins came and worked as long as they could. And 
same uh, thing. And same thing, and my son's friends, the same mm-hmm. thing. And I, you know, I, I tried to sort of ration my friends out, you know, t- to throw them into the throw them into the mix, and uh, and you know, there's only so long that people yeah. can sustain it. But uh, we were really quite ruthless with using people. Yeah. Uh, because we thought we'd be more successful and we thought it was more important to do it at the beginning, you know, and I think it was, but mm-hmm. it just didn't pay off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a reality. And then on top of it, staying in a town that you don't live in, there's costs associated. So as you mentioned initially, we're all in Calgary. She disappeared in Hamilton. That is lodging, rental cars, food, uh, dining out, uh, paying off informants. The, the cost to run a missing person search from another city can get quite high. And as much as we would have liked to be there for longer, A, we needed to bring her stuff home. B, we did take it as a, so Greta and Caleb flew back and Dave and I drove back in Holly's car because we had to bring her car home as well. And we stopped at 106 different locations on our drive. So we took a full seven days to get home and we postered literally everywhere we could. We stopped at every soup kitchen, shelter, women's shelter, RCMP station, hospital, truck stop, Tim Hortons. Mm -hmm. We have 106 places. So when we left, we didn't leave and there's been people saying, well, they left and and they've given up on her and that's so far from it. Um, we, We took the time to poster that entire highway and when we when we got back and were not able to fly back, we had to we had to pivot how we did this search, and that meant social media became that much more important for us, as well as press and podcasts and YouTube videos and anything that we could get our hands on. So we've got a fairly significant Facebook group. We've got a number of very very active people on there who go out and post things on different Facebook groups and create Kijiji ads and. Uh, search for for Holly in the back of TikTok videos or in the foreground of YouTube videos. Um, we've created an Instagram account. Dave is now on Twitter, even like the reason for the Twitter is is because uh, it's part of uh, an effort to promote her EP, and the promotion of her EP is is really, as far as I'm concerned, the, the core of the search now because. Um, the idea is that if the music is really good, so uh, it's now a question of whether people get to hear it. Uh, if you know, if, so if, if we can influence people to hear it, influence enough people to hear it, it could be quite popular. And if it if it gains you know some traction and a lot of people hear it, then people will recognize her face. I think it's good, and I'd like people to hear it anyway. But it would be, I certainly would not do it at this pace. Uh, if I wasn't trying to find her with it. Um, it's actually been just exhausting and soul-crushing, sort of like pushing it as hard as I have. So, Tell me about the challenges of searching in Hamilton specifically. Oh my goodness. Well, Hamilton's an industrial city, so it has a lot of... It has, it, and, and industry has become much more compact. Uh, uh, it uh, they used to require like they had two mills and they required thirty thousand people at each one of them, 
Now they've got one mill and I think they require 6,000 people. So the actual production has become more compact and the number of people uh, has become less. So Hamilton economically has been uh, somewhat crushed, I'd say. And, and there are a lot of abandoned factories. There are a lot of abandoned houses. Uh, there are a lot of people who are uh, suffering industrial disease, I think, there. They've, you know, a lot of the homeless people there, you see them, they're wearing uh, pieces of PPE from their former employment. You know, I think maybe their employment has actually, has actually damaged them. Uh, and and uh, there are a lot of uh, old rail tracks with, with uh, stuff grown up around it. So there are lots of places where there have been homeless encampments and uh, there are homeless encampments. Many, many, many of them. We thought we'd found all of them when we were there in January and February and March. And then when we went back, uh, I think we kind of had to double or triple our estimate of how many places there were yeah. like that where people could hide. So just checking all of the abandoned warehouses was beyond the scope of what we could do. Beyond the scope of what anybody yeah. could do, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Yeah. And even if you check one... Yeah, you can't actually cross it off because... You know, you could go into a building and then somebody could, you know, go into the building right after you left. So, uh, you, you know, we didn't have the, with as many people as we had, we didn't have the ability to sort of cross things off and say, well, you know, we're working our way, you know, through the city and we, we know she's not here. Mm -hmm. We've never been able to say that just because it's such a, you know, in as a place to you know play hide and seek with somebody, the advantage is all on the person hiding's side. You know. Well, and on top of that, Hamilton is surrounded by water and forest, mm -hmm. the yeah. escarpment. So, not only is it abandoned warehouses, abandoned homes, there are forests upon forests upon forests that you can easily hide in. I mean, we mm -hmm. stumbled upon one, uh, one. It, encampment that people would walk past maybe 2,000 times a day and nobody nobody would know it was there because they had done such a good job of hiding it over at the mm -hmm. Bayfront. Um, so when you've got terrain like that where you've got all of this forestry and all of this waterfront, that in itself is next level to try and search because you just, you physically can't. You can't go up and down the escarpment and zigzag so that you've got every base covered. It's, Although we tried. We, we did try. It's, it's intense. I mean, I think every city, regardless of the city that your person goes missing in, I think every city will have its, um, its problems that, that you've got to overcome when searching. So whether it's going through abandoned buildings or forests or water or trying to knock even on the door of a women's shelter, if you're a male, that's going to be a, a problem. So I, I think the problems that we have are interesting to Hamilton, but that doesn't mean that every other city doesn't have their, their areas that, that can be problematic. Holly went missing on January 11th of this year, 2020. 
She was found a couple of weeks ago on September 8th. Unfortunately, she was found diseased. Her body was spotted floating on the water on the Hamilton Harbor near Pier 11, and she was spotted by a worker in the area. I conducted this interview with Dave, Holly's dad, and Elle, Holly's employer and close family friend, just two days before Holly was found. I didn't have intentions on publishing it, but Elle reached out to me saying it was okay to do so, so I decided to. I wanted to make a tribute to Holly. I was really touched by her story. And as a society, we don't often acknowledge missing persons as more than just a missing person. But they're real people with feelings and lives and they have families like you. Hobbies, talents, aspirations like you do. I was lucky enough to use Holly's voice in this story. The interview you heard of Holly was conducted by Elka Whitney for her podcast, The Underground Listener. She gave me permission to use clips of the interview, but I strongly encourage you to listen to the full episode. The episode title is Intimate and Authentic Performance with Holly. All of the music I used in this episode is courtesy of Holly's band, Deep Bite, B-I-G-H-T, with Randy Enns and Andrew McLeod. Holly's family did everything in their power to try to find her. Their resilience and courage deserves recognition. This was actually the third interview I had with Elle and Dave. We sat down for nearly six hours before so I could write a feature piece on Holly. If you want to know more about Holly, visit my advocacy website, missingpersonscanada.ca. I talk about Holly's life moments leading up to her disappearance, the investigation and search. As of right now, police have not ruled Holly's death as suspicious. The only thing they've concluded is that her body had been floating in the water for a prolonged period of time. If you read the feature story I wrote on Holly, you will know just how strange the circumstances of her disappearance are. And there may be someone out there with more information. So I encourage you to share her story with your friends and family. If you have any information that could help police, contact Crime Stoppers Anonymous at 1-800-222-TIPS or call the lead detective at 905-546-3816 to Dave, Greta, Caleb, Kate, L and other family and friends, you are in my thoughts. When you make yourself vulnerable, people take advantage of that. And I think every human has that experience where you have like opened yourself up to people and been hurt and been like, oh, mistake, close that door. It's cool when you get to go out and people aren't in that mindset. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it requires alcohol and sometimes it just, I, I think it really requires letting people know that they're safe. Like just like 
creating a space where people are like, oh, it, it is okay to be as weird as I am. Right. I love that answer. <laughs> Holly, if you're listening, just call any of us. Call home, call Dave, call Greta, call Caleb. Uh, show up at your office, show up at Kate's house. If you want to be left alone, that is absolutely okay. We're, we're not going to like it, but we will respect that decision. And we need to hear that from you. So uh, it would do everybody a great deal of good if you could just, just give someone a quick call. And if you need help, any one of us will happily come and get you and help you and and do whatever it is that you need to have done. We've got you, so you just need to reach out and ask. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and follow us on Instagram at reported missing pod so you don't miss any updates.